As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Episode of the Shamrock ACC Championship Edition. Uh, as, as Notre Dame we is, go into the ship. <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame is officially on to Charlotte uh, with the Wake Forest game canceled. Uh, brought a close to one of college football's weirder stories in a weirder season, the Clemson-Florida State kerfuffle. Um, so, Matt, I guess where were you when you found out Notre Dame was officially going to the ACC Championship game, meaning they've been to more conference championship games than the Michigan football program. Uh, you just I was just going to shout out my buddy Leo who said Brian Kelly made a conference title game before <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, um, which I got to say is a pretty good one. Funny enough, I just finished recording our Atlantic and Coastal pod, our, our athletic uh, ACC podcast with Andy Bitter, where we talked about like, all right, so how's this going to unfold if one team has a bye, if one team doesn't? And I, I, I kind of... Uh, got on my high horse there about how the ACC also needs to, to come up with a better testing system so that teams don't go to Tallahassee on back-to-back Saturdays only to be told to get lost. And sure enough, all that comes to fruition right as we hang up. So we had a we had to tinker with that one a little bit. Um, and then I had to write about it. So, um, yay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds like you were a little bit more engaged than I was coming back from Target getting my son glasses. Uh, I'm like checking my phone as I'm driving through South Bend. I'm like, oh, okay. I got to get home to deal with this. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I don't know. Notre Dame's been going to Charlotte for since they beat Clemson. Um, and certainly since, you know, the Nor- they had to lose to North Carolina and then lose to somebody else, which was not going to happen. Um, but I mean, Clemson is state of affairs there. They just have to beat Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech this weekend, and then they're on to Charlotte as well for round two. Um, not uh, probably not too early to talk about that one, considering Notre Dame versus Syracuse this weekend is not quite uh, narrative rich. <laughs> well, we need to pour it out for the Duke's Mayo Classic since that got postponed oh, twice. And is the biggest at all loser now. is is a can of mayonnaise in this. <laughs> And I do appreciate the ACC like using common sense. Yes, that was with nice. With both the testing and the schedules. Um, Notre Dame was not the first team to clinch a conference championship berth this week. Northwestern was, and the Big Ten's too embarrassed to announce it because they don't want Northwestern to clinch it with two weeks left by cancellation. 
And that's exactly what happened. I literally did. I, I'm looking at the math when Northwestern's game gets canceled. And I'm texting people at Northwestern. They're like, it was very like political. It's like, we haven't heard anything from the office yet. So we're not celebrating. So us in the media, uh, we'll call the race for them, essentially. Yeah. But Notre Dame at least gets to, well, they didn't win a division, so I don't know if they get to actually hang anything up yet until they win the actual conference. But well, what, we, will, we will come to that. What's the ACC's big deal? Like, they had eight different coastal winners in eight different years? Seven, seven and seven years, yeah. Seven and seven years. So now it's like eight non-Atlantic division winners in eight years. Um, yeah. And one of them won't even be in your conference next year. But... Um, I guess another thing to tackle is the the college football playoff rankings, and I want to Notre Dame number two, Alabama one, and then Clemson three, Ohio State four, A and M five, and Florida six. I put this on Twitter last night, and the venerable Tim Beret, uh, former Clemson SID, agreed with me. So you know it's it's true. But uh, I'll put it to you. So riddle me this: Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game by seven. Florida upsets Alabama in this SEC championship game. Is your college football field an ACC-SEC challenge and Ohio State is out? I think it should be. Okay. But that's, I mean, that's the chaos nightmare scenario, right? Like Notre Dame versus Ohio State, essentially, for that fourth spot. And Brian Kelly has... Done a pretty good job of saying like, "Hey, we already played." You know, the the the, the politicking, if you will, after the Boston mm-hmm. College game, saying, "Hey, we just finished a Big Ten season. We just did this. We just did that." It, this would be more interesting on a broader scale if it was a Big Ten team not named Ohio State in this situation, because I think Ohio State's gonna more often than not get the benefit of the doubt. One, because they're Ohio State, and two, because they were in the playoff last year with a lot of the same players mm-hmm. and coaches. And I think the committee um, that's good enough for them as far as the eye test. If this was oh, Northwestern. Yeah. And they had two games oh, canceled, but they were undefeated. Yeah, that's, we're not having it. this conversation. Um, well, well, I just like – it's interesting when you say like the Ohio State brand. I wonder if there's a negative to that because Ohio State cannot beat Ohio State. Like if Northwestern beat Ohio State in the scenario sure. you're talking about, that would, I think, enhance the credentials of blind Notre Dame – or blind Big Ten Team X. Whereas like Ohio State, what's their best win going to be? Indiana. Which is nothing, right? I mean, a, like you struggled against Indiana. It's, eh. not, it's not even a... I, I wouldn't. Did you watch that game? I, I it was watched, 35-7. They quit. Right. Like, they stopped playing. They had their <laughs> way you with can, them. You, uh, you cannot make <laughs> accusations of teams quitting, Fortuna. Uh, <laughs> they quit well ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying... That's like, not the same as quitting. <laughs> the final score of that... I mean, Indiana had a chance to tie the game at the end. They very little chance to tie the game, but they had a chance. Um, and still, it's Indiana. I mean, I they are, they are an awesome story. Michael Penix is an awesome story. All of that, all of that good stuff. It's still Indiana. If that is your best win versus Notre Dame having a win over Clemson, or Clemson having a win over Notre Dame, or Florida having a win over uh, Alabama, or Alabama having a win over Texas A and M, like I'm sorry. Indiana does not hold up at all in that scenario. Well, not right? only that, North Carolina will probably be ranked at the end of the year. They too. went up after yeah. losing to Notre Dame, and, they, so, and if they beat Miami, who's six to one, seven to one right now, they'll continue yeah. to go up. And, so. and you know, Clemson has the Miami win, which I right. think looks better in the rankings than it felt at the time. Um, I don't mm-hmm. feel like Miami is a top ten team, but I guess the point is just like if you just did blind resumes, Ohio State is out 
in that scenario to me, even if they're an undefeated 6-0 and team, because they, they will have beaten almost nobody. Yeah, I mean, I I think hell on earth would be Notre Dame fans and Ohio State fans complaining about who's the more aggrieved one um, in this scenario <laughs> when they get left out. It's a I border mean, I just, war yeah, around pretty Fort much, Wayne. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the SEC would probably just be laughing at all of it. But, I mean, I, I, I don't... Like, I feel bad, but I don't feel bad for Ohio State, if that makes sense. Like, they're a victim of really poor leadership at their conference this year. Yeah. Um, and Ryan Day, I guess to his credit, called that out and helped get this season along um, when he tweeted, basically calling out the commissioner's office on week one when Ohio State wasn't playing. And what do you know, a few days later, the Big Ten decides that daily testing is going to solve this pandemic, and they're back. Yeah, yeah that worked. Um, <laughs> it worked out really well. So I don't... I have a hard time like blaming Ohio State for this when it's not their fault. But at the same time, like the Big Ten just isn't good this year on the field. Like I have throw this no. analogy out. Like the Big Ten is Ohio State and thirteen teams in a March Madness pool. Like if you restarted the season today, like how different is everything right now? Like Michigan's probably still not great, but like no. Penn State's not on Penn State lost Indiana on a bad call. In a game they deserve to lose, but on a bad call, and that bad call undid 30 years of bad karma for Indiana. And out of nowhere, Indiana goes on this run, and Penn State gets smacked by Ohio State like everyone does, and you know the wheels fall off there. Like I just, it, it, it's I, I don't know if there's. If I'm projecting the future of the Big Ten outside of I don't think Jim Harbaugh will be at Michigan next year, and I think Ohio State will be really good again next year. I don't know if there's anything that's happened on the field this year that. I could look at and say, all right, like that's going to carry over to next year or uh, that program's in trouble because they had a bad year. Like I just, the whole thing's been kind of just chaotic uh, outside of Ohio State being good, but the rest of the league hasn't helped them and they're not going to play more than seven games. So no, seven to no. I don't think we're having this conversation with anyone else in the country other than a team with the his recent and, and uh, overall historic pedigree of an Ohio State. I just... You know, watching the the playoff rankings reveal last night when uh, Barta, the AD at Iowa, talked about how they had a real discussion about whether A and M and Ohio State should flip mm-hmm. after a weekend where A and M was not that impressive in beating. No, they, I watched that game start to finish. It to was to not me, fun. that to me that told me, like assuming you take the committee at its word, which you do at your own risk. But to me, that says that the field would be Alabama, Florida, Clemson, Notre Dame in the scenario I talked about, like that the, the, the committee would not hesitate to leave out an undefeated Ohio state. When, and it's like this notion of whether they win the conference championship or not is totally irrelevant to me. Um, because well, if, the, well, yeah, if, they you're beat, right, you're if they beat Wisconsin in the second place game, that would be more impressive to me than beating Northwestern for the conference championship. Right? Yes. But I think the, I don't think that's the conversation. I think the conversation is are you playing six games instead of seven games? Yeah, which is probably that's what it's going to be, right? I mean, right. they have the maybe they'll get to seven, but they get to seven if they play the rest of their games. But if they miss one of the next two weeks, um, and I'm not going to go there because a certain big personality found himself in hot water for saying what I think a lot of people have said behind the scenes. Um, but if they don't play one of their next two games, then they're eliminated from the Big Ten title game. But they do play that weekend, probably, like you said, against the Wisconsin, who's probably better than or more impressive than – well, I can't say that. Northwestern handed Wisconsin 
pretty badly. So I don't, I don't want to take away from Northwestern, but I mean, I don't think Ohio State's resume, if you will, is docked by their opponent that week. It's just the fact that no. they're playing three games short of what their initial schedule said they would play, and then we're talking about six and out, and then I don't know how we even like look at them seriously. No, I don't think that you. I don't think that you could. Um, you know, and it's again, it's not. That's just sort of the. the the state of affairs for Ohio State, like it's not necessarily their fault, but this is the world we're living in, and I, I just cannot get my head around the idea of Ohio State getting in over a one-loss Notre Dame, a one-loss Florida, a one-loss Alabama, or a one-loss Clemson. I just cannot see it. But we'll, I guess, all will be revealed. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty-four-seven U.S.-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I went on a radio show yesterday and I got asked the opposite, which I hadn't ever considered which was, could Clemson still get in if they lose to Notre Dame and chaos reigns? I don't think so. That but I can't see. It was, I mean, if, if, if Alabama wins out, beats Florida. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame wins out, beats Clemson. You got Alabama and Notre Dame in there. Um, Ohio State loses or is ineligible or is playing only six games. Like, who, who else fills out that field? Um, I, I would guess A&M if they still have only one loss and that would over Florida. Um, maybe the Big 12 champion because even though it's a two-loss champion, I mean, we'd be talking about a two-loss non-champion in Clemson yeah. as uh, the other one. And maybe Cincinnati in that scenario if chaos raid, which, hey, why not? Like, let's get crazy. <laughs> yes. Haven't we already? Notre Dame, Cincinnati uh, in the playoff. <laughs> then Notre Dame can yeah. talk a about a game with nothing. A 2021 matchup. <laughs> That's all. That's right. <laughs> Talk about a game with like nothing like to gain from, even if you win that by like forty. If you're Notre Dame, oh god, yeah. Like I the mean, the national narrative, which I know everyone there really cares about. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Other than you'd be in the national championship game. I mean, that would be one thing to gain from it. But um, I mean, other than that, Notre Dame this weekend at Syracuse. I don't know if there's a. There are some interesting stories this weekend. Uh, most of them revolve around like. The recruiting class of 2016 or Ian Book at, at 30 wins, uh, which will break the all-time record, something that I'll be writing about for tomorrow on The Athletic. But um, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on this weekend as Notre Dame looks to close out on a third undefeated regular season under Brian Kelly, a fourth in 11 years, um, undefeated at home? And this would be, I think, their, we had, this would be their 16th straight win, if I'm not mistaken. I, I should have this like these win streaks tattooed on my wrist, so I always know them. <laughs> well, you'd have to update them every week, so yeah, that'd be a bad know. idea. But uh, close your eyes, yeah. find something to do on Saturday. <laughs> it's it's not going to be fun. Like God bless Syracuse. I mean, they're down to probably fifty five scholarship players right now. And it's not like they were a powerhouse to begin with. Um, did you? Watch, <laughs> I hate to even bring it up because it was so painful. Um, did you watch the end of that NC State Syracuse game last I saw week? The, I saw the highlight of it. It was it was unfortunate. I've never seen a bigger bleep eating grin on my face than or on someone's face than I saw on Dave Doran's uh, celebrating that win to basically assure him of going eight and three with a backup quarterback. Um, 
after going four eight last year at NC State. But yeah, it's it's not good for Syracuse. I mean, I, I the lines. What's it up to now? Thirty five. Has it gone up to thirty five? No, it opened like at thirty two, thirty three. It opened at thirty three. I, I mean, like we we made this mistake when Syracuse played at Clemson. I think a week after Clemson beat Georgia Tech seventy three to seven, and True. Syracuse actually hung around for like two and a half quarters. Never a threat to win the game, but even Brent Venables came out afterward and was like, look, if you've had everyone telling you you suck for all season, like you're going to come out upset and you're going to play really hard. Um, I think that's easier to do in the middle of October than it is at the end of December of a pandemic-stricken season when you have half a roster and it seems like half the teams in the country have zero interest in yeah in playing football. When anymore, you're playing outside which, at a high of 39 degrees. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the Dome's... The dome insulates them from a lot of that, a lot of that weather up there in central New York. Uh, the line right now is thirty-three and a half. Yeah, with, the, with an over/under of fifty-one and a half, which I always find amusing. <laughs> Prediction. It, uh, I mean, I think I think Notre Dame will run them off the field. Um, I'm, I'm more interested to see how many backups get in the game. Um, you know, Brendan mm-hmm. Clark. I think this is in my mailbag today, but. You know, Brendan Clark, I think, has played 18 snaps all season. I don't think that is an ideal scenario when Ian Book's walking out the door after this year. Um, you'd like to have a little bit more of a read on him if you're Notre Dame than you do in games. So sure. that that would be something interesting to watch this weekend. Um, Sean Crawford's it, third senior day. Yes. <laughs> do I hear was, four? <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, I think in the secondary, that's, that's sort of the other backup reserve story that I'm most interested to see is because they haven't they're not necessarily all that deep uh, despite uh, DJ Brown and Houston Griffith playing well at North Carolina so you know can you get some of those freshman corners in there Um, you know some of the redshirt freshman corners redshirt freshman safeties uh, get them some experience because there there hasn't been much evaluation of them and then um, you know Notre Dame season is going really well when people have stopped asking about the five-star freshman receiver who's not playing. Um, but, you know, maybe a few reps for Jordan Johnson would be interesting. Throw it's not because he ball. got in trouble, which has yeah. happened in the past with five-star yeah, I mean, freshman receivers. Th- throw people on a message board a bone, Brian Kelly. Get uh, get Jordan Johnson some reps. But And then, like, Ian Book is about to do something that he's that has never been done in Notre Dame history, win 30 games as a starting quarterback. Um, and I think that is... That is a pretty cool story. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's something to discuss here. It's like, you know, Ian Book's legacy coming out the door here is is going to be what? Right. And, you know, you kind of feel bad. It's not going to be a, your typical crowd as far as, like, a senior send-off yeah. and getting the, the roses and everything else that you deserve. But um, I think these guys will be okay with that if they close out in a playoff game uh, for their careers. It's yeah, – I got to ask this uh, – by a, a Notre Dame for a long time Notre Dame fan this week he said you know what he goes am I crazy I know we all threw out the Joe Montana comparisons you know when he first showed up against Wake Forest and led us to the playoff but like is there a chance he could finish as the second best quarterback here career wise beyond Montana and I said if he wins a national championship absolutely um, I think this being 2020 and this being a what have you done for me lately world if they get smoked by Clemson in the ACC title game and smoked by whoever they play in the playoff, people will forget all the good of this year very quickly. And hopefully with the passage of time, they will uh, 
um, come to their senses and appreciate what he did for this program. I, I'm not ready to go there just yet, but I think it's in the cards um, with a season like this one. I think that if he wins a national championship, then yeah, yeah. It'd be you're talking about. You know, I, I wouldn't go the best of all time because Notre Dame has no but, championship but, quarterbacks who also won. But best trophies. since Mont- best other Montana. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think that that would be a fair fair comparison. I mean, it's like you got to go back to the only other one in that gap is Tony Rice, who you know was a great college football player, but it was just a different a different offense, a different world at that point. So, I think yeah, for book. It's I don't know. It's just it's amazing to me how quickly the the script on him has flipped. And even though in the summer we talked about this, that if he beat right. at the time it was Wisconsin and Clemson, but if he just beat Clemson one time, that people would view his legacy completely differently. And I, I'm still struck by just how different it feels sure. about Ian Book from the Notre Dame fan base. Even though I knew this was coming, um, I'm still sort of blown away by how different it feels. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Um, you do what, what he did and do it in the fashion he did it. Um, that's a legacy change. That's a legacy game, um, regardless of what happens uh, throughout the rest of the year. It does reset the conversation of what this season could be. He did, by the way, I'd be remiss not to mention, as the uh, – orchestrator, conductor, whatever you want to call it, of our Heisman straw poll. He and Book got a vote this week amongst our staff of 44. Uh, it was, I believe it was from the person who covers a team that we were just talking about. Uh, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. Uh, it was Brody Miller, our LSU writer, who voted him second this week, um, which brings up the question of, and I know some fans have asked this, like what would it take for him to get in that mix? If he keeps playing at this level and if they beat Clemson again, I could see him being a finalist. Now, that depends largely on what happens elsewhere around the country. But you do that, you knock out Trevor Lawrence from contention. Um, You would hope that the winner of the Kyle Trask-Mac Jones showdown in the SEC title game eliminates the other, uh, though it's not that simple. Uh, And then we'll see what happens with Brees Hall. Um, There's a handful of other guys in Alabama who are getting votes every week. Um, Don't know if Jared Patterson's a real threat from Buffalo, but it's really fun to talk about a Mac player putting up the numbers he is through four games and that would be a great story as well but i mean i think it's possible um when's the voting like when is the official vote for the heisman it's after the they, they change it this year so it's, it's actually after the first couple bowl games which probably will not feature players in that mix but it's uh but not, the it's week, still in 2020 though the voting is it's after the december 19th like conference championship games okay and then it's but awarded not, not i believe on january semifinals. 7th um, okay so yeah Again, I mean, why do why do we have to do it on January seventh again? What do you mean? Like, sh- like, couldn't the whole season play out? Oh, for like Heisman, you mean just in general? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if Ian Book beats Trevor Lawrence in Charlotte and then turns around and beats Mac Jones in the playoff, like, I think that would probably change. Yeah, the I mean, voting. look, we saw this in 2016, right, where Deshaun Watson finishes runner up to okay. Lamar Jackson and then wins a national title as Jackson flops in his final three games and. Dabo and everyone saying, you know, like, Sean's the best player in the country. I get it. Um, I do find it fascinating that college football, I'm not saying I, I, I disagree with you, but I feel like college football more than anywhere else, people really clamor for this award to be given out after the bowl games are played when no other sport judges MVPs on anything other than the regular season. And I know the dynamics are different, but so I, I can, I mean, would it be better if, if it was awarded after? Probably. 
Um, but like most things with this sport, it's largely a PR stunt, and it's not going to be done after. College football is so screwed up. Like they only included bowl statistics that, uh, yeah. in in guys' career marks. Like what was that fifteen years ago? They started doing that. Makes, but they won't retroactively go back and do everybody else. It makes no sense. Um, college football, what a screwed up, beautiful sport it is, and that's why we love it. Um, all right, predictions this weekend. Give me a final score. Uh, Forty-five-seven, Notre Dame. I, I am not going to disrespect Clark Lee's defense like that, so I'm going to say fifty-two-zero. Oh. Wait, I we didn't just, even talk about Clark Lee. Look, I, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we should. Let's get into that. <laughs> Clark Lee coming, coming, going, staying. What uh, <clears throat> there's, I don't know. There's a bunch of different ways to look at the Vanderbilt job. One is, how about we look at this? This is the first way to look at. It. Would Clark Lee take it if offered? Eileen, yes, I think. Look, he, I agree. He knows this place better than any human being not currently employed by Vanderbilt. Um, he's from Nashville. He played there. Still has family there. He knows enough about the history of that institution and about the current administration and their commitment or lack thereof to building a consistent winner there where hypothetically, if he was their first choice and got offered, I think his yes or no answer would say everything you need to know about the potential of that program. Um, The other part of it is, and obviously this all goes to personal preference, but I think it's human nature. If you're making, I don't know, close to a million dollars a year and someone hands you a check for four it's really hard to say no to that when it's staring you in the face yeah i i'm all um, for you, you brought this salary. up to me before we recorded and it's a, a situation i had not considered and it's one that i'm not sure a lot of athletic directors around the country have considered they made this move because signing day is december 16th this year Notre Dame plays in the conference championship game december 19th so we've seen people juggle new jobs and playoff duties before. Um, we saw it last year with Jeff Halfley at Ohio State, Jeff Scott at, at Clemson. We have not seen like this happen basically in season. Um, and we've heard stories like Tony Elliott at Clemson and some other guys who have been longtime assistants elsewhere where a lot of the reasons these guys don't get the opportunities that others get is because they say, don't bother to talk to me until my duties here are done. Um and I feel like Clark Lee is is more wired. Like yeah, I don't that think he's like I. He's not going around selling himself. He's not in a rush to get out of Notre Dame. I, he'd only leave for the right opportunity. Right. I mean, he interviewed. To be fair, he interviewed right, but it's a Power Five last year job, which but, is a thirty. Yeah, but it was like that was the Camping World Bowl, right? Right. Full right. month between the end of the season and the bowl. It's just a completely different scenario, even though it's no. I mean, they're season. playing for a national um, championship this year, um, and. Yeah, but I, I'm with you. I, I think that he would take it if offered. Um, one, like you said, he knows everything about that program. Two, uh, Candace Lee, their athletic director, has talked about, it, or at least hinted that clearly they're in the position to have to sell a better job than it was when Derek Mason took it with facilities and infrastructure. So if that's true, that's a positive. And then I, I'm sort of view it as like, Okay, they gave Derek Mason seven years without a winning season. There's a lot of patience there um, that you're not going down there and you're going to get run out of there after three years if you're not getting it done. They're going to give you a lot of time. And they may even give Clark Lee more time than, than they gave Derek Mason because he's sort of one of their own. So it's, I, I think it's a much better job than I think people make it out to be, even though the difficulties of it are, are fairly obvious. 
I, I think it can be. I mean, Joe Rexrode, um, one of our writers from Tennessee, wrote a great story over the summer looking at kind of the internal dysfunction there that, that Candace yeah. Story Lee, the athletic director, walked into. And so, like, there are a lot of moving parts there. I mean, it's a place that's never really taken football seriously. Even if you watch them on TV in a normal year, you know, they play good teams at home, and, like, that stadium's not really full or rocking um, as cool of a place as Nashville is. So, I mean, they're, they're sitting head coaches who I think have no interest in that job. Uh, because they think they can wait out for better jobs or um, can, can play their ways into better jobs where they are now. But there's something to be said for, for coming home, so to speak, for being an under 40 um, coordinator who's probably, I, I don't know this, I'd imagine he gets at least an interview, whether it's serious or not. I, I mean, it would I be, don't know how you could. It would, it would be, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It'd be malpractice to not make that call. Um, to gauge his interest if you're Vanderbilt right now, assuming it hasn't already happened. But uh, I, I, I would think he'd take it. Um, but I don't know if that's like some dream job he's been waiting to open up his whole life. Yeah, I feel like when he arrived at Notre Dame, it, it probably was. Um, and I think, I don't know if you've talked to him about his Vanderbilt experience, but this is I threw this in the mailbag today. They were terrible when he was there, um, like really bad, like pretty much Derek Mason level bad. And he had an awesome experience there, um, four and twenty nine his during his three years. Um, pretty so, much the opposite of his their name record. Yeah, but I, I mean, I say that in the sense of like the idea that you can't win there. Um, yeah, you're not going to win an SEC championship there, um, but. I don't think that Clark Lee would view success or failure at Vanderbilt through wins and losses because that's that's just not really who he is as a person. Um, so, you know, could he get to James Franklin level of success? James Franklin beat one ranked team in three years, and we sort of view him as like the greatest right. coach in Vanderbilt history. Um, it's not a huge, not a super high bar to clear, um, but I don't think Clark Lee would be worried too much about Hey, we went four and eight this year. That was an abject failure. I think he would look at, hey, we went four and eight. These kids had good experiences. They graduated. We were competitive. Like we we played hard. I just think he would he views he views college football through a different lens than most of us, which is I think why he he will ultimately be a great head coach somewhere. Yeah, I think that's why he could succeed there. I mean, like you said, James Franklin was the hottest coach in the country coming out of Vanderbilt because he did what had never been done there before. Which still, as you said was modest compared to most yep. um, SEC schools' expectations. I think the East then was a little bit easier than the East now. You didn't have Georgia rolling, at least recruiting-wise, the way they are now. Florida seems to have finally gotten its act together as well. But I think if you have realistic expectations, I imagine because it's Vanderbilt, they would. Like We're not asking you to beat Georgia and Florida every year, but can you beat a down Tennessee? Can you beat an also rebuilding South Carolina? Uh, Missouri with a young coach. Kentucky. Kentucky, who's Kentucky. I know they're a good team every year, but never a real threat. Um, put yourself in Clark Lee's shoes. Um, do I want to be the head coach in Notre Dame someday? I know Notre Dame would love that. They're not going to make it happen tomorrow probably, but if that's your goal, yeah, go to Vanderbilt. The minute you win eight games there, if the timing's right, you're probably on the short list uh, of people in Notre Dame calls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that he would he will be in the Rolodex at Notre Dame in twenty twenty five, if that's the year that Notre Dame has a new coach. And I think that's whether he stays here 
and is a DC or whether he goes to Vanderbilt and is a 500 coach um, over three, four years. I, I just think he's got enough credibility in the bank around Notre Dame that people know what he's about and you know that he would be a good fit here. Again, I'm not saying that he would get it at Notre Dame, but he would get an interview. Yeah, I think he'd have to. Um, I think I think the guy he'd be replacing could be a fit to replace him at Notre Dame. Derek Mason, as DC at Notre Dame, who wanted to fight Brian Kelly two years ago. You know, I wonder how many times Tommy Reese wanted to fight Brian Kelly when he was playing for him. <laughs> but he didn't say it in a press conference. <laughs> I mean, that's that was also brought up in the mailbag, and I'm just like, guys. Derek Mason essentially publicly challenged Brian Kelly to, to come to Nashville to fight him um, after Brian Kelly accused Vanderbilt of playing, quote, bad football uh, in a game that, frankly, was bad uh, in, tw- in 2018. So I, hmm, Derek Mason would not be my guy. I guess that's a – maybe we'll save that conversation for the podcast if Notre Dame actually does need a new D.C., but Derek Mason would not be my uh, first choice because I, I just – I don't know if there's going to be a personality match there with Brian Kelly. Eh, we'll see. I, I don't know the guy. I've heard nothing but great things about him from a personality perspective. Uh, when you look at his pedigree, coming into Vanderbilt, it was similar to Clark Lee's. I mean, he was a guy that NFL teams were just couldn't get enough of as far as visiting Palo Alto to see what they were doing and running on defense back when Stanford really had it rolling. Uh, and it made him a really hot coach. So, We'll see. That's probably another conversation for another time. But when you have your second undefeated season in three years, we're going to have these conversations. Uh, probably not just about Clark Lee in the coming weeks. No, no, it's a good it, look. It's a good place for Notre Dame to be, um, even though it's a some uncomfortable conversations from a fan perspective. I think on message boards, they, I, I think you got this reaction too. It's like stop promoting Clark Lee as a head oh, coaching yeah. candidate. As if people Vanderbilt industry, didn't know who he was yeah. until... <laughs> as if people in the industry are like, who? Clark Lee? Oh, that guy. Yeah, I wonder why Notre Dame's defense was so good. So, yeah. It's, uh, by the way, who, who's a, sorry, who's starting center this weekend? Uh, I believe that it will be Josh Lugg um, if Zeke Carell cannot go with an ankle sprain. So, that I mean, it's a little bit of a, a sidebar story, but... That that I think is one of um, one of the reasons why the Wake Forest game getting canceled is a such a positive yeah. for Notre Dame and and Florida State being canceled for Clemson as well. But um, that that I don't think is going to change my that didn't really factor no. into my fifty two zero prediction forty five seven. I would have said seventy seven to two, to three maybe if uh, if I knew the offensive line was at full strength. But uh, yeah, fifty two zero for me. You're at, what were you forty four seven forty five seven forty five seven. Um, We'll have a lot of statistics to talk about on our uh, our wrap-up podcast on Saturday. 45-7 would actually get them, right now, half point over. It opened at 52.5. It's now 51.5. That was not by design by me, so don't. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's why I I picked under as 52-0. There you go. Uh, so it will it will be uh, we'll we'll be strained to find some interesting storylines to pull out of Saturday, but without a it's not really football, so we'll definitely find some. Um, so until then. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening to our latest episode of The Shamrock. Mm-hmm.